tours with horses. You may have seen videos of dogs or cats pushing buttons that speak out loud in English. My name is Carmen and that's what I'm doing only with my horse. I've been surprised and excited and delighted by what Lyra has said so far and it makes me look forward to the future. Who knows what can happen when we give a voice to our horses. Hey everyone, I've got something exciting to share, not just a new episode, but a new episode where I talk to the Pacific Northwest Clicker Training Horses group. I was invited to chat with them on Saturday, and I was able to record that and launch it on the YouTube channel, Words with Horses. So hop over there if you like video, and you can watch it in video and subscribe to the channel where I can post more content on YouTube. And if you just prefer the audio format, well, guess what? I grabbed the audio from our conversation and I'm sharing it here as a podcast episode. Thus, the title, Words of Sharing. Enjoy! Yeah, go ahead. All right. Well, thanks for inviting me to chat about how I taught Lara to talk and how I think um, many other horse people could teach their horses to talk. So I'm Carmen Mercer and uh, a little bit about my bio. I work uh, in a large school district in the special education department and I help make sure kids with disabilities have assistive technology. I work closely with speech therapists. And so that's just something that's in my background that kind of led me to be aware of these pieces and curious about these pieces with animals. Um, I had a certification once that it's kind of lapsed, but I do a lot of other things in my job, but that's still one of the things I manage is that process for students getting technology. I never did have a horse growing up, though I always wanted one. That just wasn't something that was possible for me and my family. Um, but in 2016, I saw an article that came out that was about how in Norway, they taught some horses to touch a card to indicate whether they wanted their blanket to be put on or taken off. And I have uh, links to that study that I can share. And the moment I saw that, I was like, oh my gosh, if I ever get a horse someday, I'm gonna be doing stuff like this. And eventually two years ago, I bought, brought Lyra home. She's a 16 year old Bashkir Curly. And while we did play a little bit with that card touching method, I don't think I was as rigorous in my methodology as they were in the study as I've gone back and read it a few times because that didn't quite work out for us um, and at the time. <clears throat> but then I stumbled across the videos of I Am Bunny, the dog that touches all of the buttons that's, that's all over the internet. And I was like, okay, yeah, obviously I should try this instead. And I even, I have access to these buttons at work. And this is just kind of an obvious thing to try. Um, we had been playing with clicker training, of course, as well. And it's a really great compliment to that. So I don't really think there's anything about me or Lyra that's totally unique as like, oh my gosh, this is an amazing thing that no one else can do. It's, it's a little unique that there aren't a ton of people doing it, at least with a horse. But I don't think there's any, I think many other uh, communication partners, pairs could do this. There are a couple of pieces that I think help quite a bit. Um, one is to have a horse that's really interested in human contact. Um, I think that's, that's important. Of course, they're not going to want to or feel like communicating if they don't want anything to do with people. 
And another thing is to have a horse that's target trained. I think that is a really good prerequisite skill. And because then they have that inclination to touch something with their nose, um, especially, I mean, you know, there's body targets as well, but that, that really nudging or pushing something with the nose is a great foundational skill. Kind of like when we think about babies learning to talk, they do all kinds of babbling. They play with their tongue constantly. It's not like we ask them to suddenly say words when they haven't ever been using their mouths in that way before. So I feel like that's a great uh, foundational skill. And actually both of these things are really common with uh, clicker trained plus R trained horses. So they're interested in us, very interested in us sometimes. And they are familiar with touching novel objects. So I think this is a really great thing to explore with our uh, plus R horses and can maybe give us another way for them to communicate with us. And I say another way because we all know they communicate with us constantly as it is. Um, body language is their native language. And I, I haven't had a horse for very long, but that's obvious and very clear to me. And there are other horse trainers that I, I bound down to and learn from on a regular basis in terms of learning more about horse body language and what they are constantly communicating to us. And so it's helpful to understand the two kind of different pieces of language as we're going to work with animals. So there's receptive language and expressive language. And so expressive language is when the horse is using body language to talk to us. And it could be as subtle as, you know, an ear flick or a tail swish or turning head away slightly. All of those pieces, that's expressive language. They are expressing something to us that we can pay attention to and understand. We can always be understanding that better. And it's really critical to do so, even as we're talking about using these talking buttons, because we're never going to be able to give them exactly the right buttons or enough buttons to communicate everything they might want to communicate. We're going to need to pair their body language with that in order to better interpret what they're trying to say to us, because they could push a button that could be interpreted a lot of different ways. And we have to have that whole context, including their body language to be able to understand what they're saying. And then the other piece of it, so that gets to that's expressive language, receptive language is something else our horses have which they can understand language. So we're all familiar with teaching our horses verbal cues, even traditional trainers, they have the walk, trot, canter, you know, walk on, whoa, all of these verbal commands that horses can understand and learn. Um, my horse learns, had learned, knew the word back way before I was using buttons and I could stand anywhere around her and not move a muscle or look a certain way and I could say back and she would back up. So that is, uh, that is receptive language that she has. She knows certain commands and words. And I think a lot of animals have tons of receptive language. Any animal that spends a lot of time around humans um, has a lot of receptive language, but not in the way we think. They don't understand full sentences. We have to really be clear about our words there was a dog that was studied, I believe its name was Chase, a border collie named Chaser, who knew over a thousand words that they had verified. And they eventually stopped the study, not because the dog couldn't learn more words, but just because they, they were done. They'd been studying this forever and they had to go on to other things. So I, I don't think there's any even limit necessarily to how many words um, a horse could learn. 
Um, I know Irene Pepperberg has studied this with parrots and some of her work is really great to look at as well. And she has some thoughts about how teaching animals different words and language and ways to symbolically represent their thoughts can actually um, change some wiring in the brains of our animals and make them smarter or make them more, even more able to communicate and label their thoughts, which is kind of an interesting thing that I like exploring as, as I get into this and thinking about the different times Lyra's communicated with me. So the, the cool thing about all of this and understanding receptive and expressive language and how our animals can really pick up on certain words is that we can all start communicating to them now. We don't even have to use buttons just by being a little bit more intentional about using like one word at a time in a very repetitive way. You couldn't even like before you buy even a button, if you wanna think about a word you'd like your animal to know, your horse to know, you could start thinking, well, my first word that I used with Lyra was scritches or some people like to say scratches. I like to say scritches, it's tomato, tomato, you know. So I like scritches and so I was like, okay, I'm gonna use the word scritches. And then I didn't have any buttons, but I would just say that word very intentionally, scritches. And then I would hold hold my hands up, which is kind of the cue for her. And she'd come and bring her head up and get the scritches that she wanted. So we did that off and on for quite a while. And then that became, that became a verbal cue that she understood very clearly. Okay, yeah, she knows what that means. And then when I, I introduced that button, I didn't spend any time specifically um, I training her to push a button for rewards, for food rewards. I kept tried to keep that a little bit separate, at least to start. I didn't want her to think that the buttons were associated with receiving food as a primary reinforcer. Um, I wanted her to understand that the buttons had other reinforcement value. And so that's why I went with the word scritches, which wasn't related to food in any way. And then I didn't train her to push a button for a food reward. I just showed it to her as a novel object and her inclination as with you know, prior reinforcement history, exposure to lots of novel objects is yeah, I'm gonna nudge this thing and see what happens. And so she did and it said scritches and then I gave her scritches and then she pushed the button three more times. So <laughs> that's, she picked up on that really quickly and then that is kind of where we started. So that's a really good recommendation is to pick a word that you would use frequently with your communication partner and one that you can train verbally, get a lot of exposure to verbally. And then if there's that, that reinforcement history of nudging objects to have that then present the button. And if your horse doesn't push the button, that's fine too. I would then just recommend actually modeling. So that's what we do to a ton oh, of modeling. Yeah. Oh, hello. Hello. Hi, welcome. So I was just talking about modeling uh, your first button if you give uh, buttons to your horse. So that's something that's really important, especially as you introduce a new button or if your uh, communication partner isn't pushing buttons yet and you offer them a button to model it yourself. So let's say Lyra hadn't pressed, I offered the scritches button and let's say Lyra didn't press it. What I would do is I would press the scritches button 
and then offer the scritches, uh, the scritches cue or see if she wanted scritches or even wait until she like nudges me with her head, like, hey, I want you to scratch me and then walk over to the button. Yes, scritches. Yes, let's do scritches. And really doing a lot of repetition of that modeling activity. And then they will eventually, assuming they want to communicate that way, will press the button. And so that's something that Lyra presses now occasionally um, is scritches. So again, just picking one word that you use frequently, doesn't have any food rewards associated with it, and then see if they'll press it spontaneously. If not, go ahead and press the button and model it. And then that's how we built up to the 16 buttons that we have now. What are the 16 buttons that you have now? What are the 16 buttons? Okay, I have the list because I, I don't put things in my brain from memory. So, so in order of introduction, um, there is scritches, mask for her fly mask, all done, hug, play, and play for us is a very specific activity where she mirrors me. I lift my left leg. She lifts her left leg. I lift my right leg. She lifts her right leg. And then we've kind of been trying to take that one step further and getting her to laterally move with me. I step over to the left. She follows me to the left. I step over to the right. And she kind of is my dance partner. So that's what play means to her. Um, water, hay, walk. Ouch, no, yes, foot, tail, blanket, yuck, head, and neck. And I've been trying to introduce more body buttons. She has a whole separate board. I'll talk about the mounting of the buttons and stuff. She has a whole separate board that I have put the body buttons on because it's a great interest. And I think it's a, a great goal of this communication method to see if our animals are willing to self-report pain and discomfort because I know that's a big thing with our big animals and our big vet bills that if they can tell us early and often, if they have any sort of issue, that is super helpful. So that's that's where we're at at the moment. They And I would say she's pushed almost all of these buttons with intention. There's only a couple she hasn't really pushed, just hasn't had exposure to or hasn't felt the need. She's never pushed no which partly might be just because she has other ways of telling me no. She doesn't feel the need to push no. It's not that I would never, I would love if she would push no. That would be perfectly fine. She's allowed to refuse. I never coerce her to push buttons or deny her something if she's not going to push a button. The other one is a blanket just because she, she's a curly horse. She doesn't need a blanket that frequently at all. And in the winter when it was going to get cold enough that, you know, it was going to be you know, 10 degrees below zero Fahrenheit with a horrible wind out, I would just put her blanket on in the evening. Um, now I could try more with that to like leave her blanket on when it gets a little warmer and see if she'll ask to take it off. But usually I just, I just, I'm just taking care of her. Um, and then head, I think she's pushed, neck is the newest button that she hasn't really pushed yet. So I'm hoping to get into more games, um, body related games, maybe later in the summer, because we've played body related games before with the hose or with a container of water, where I will <clears throat> present the like kind of touch her body part, like say her neck, I'll touch her neck and I'll say neck. And then I'll present the container of water to her. 
And then if she touches the container of water with her nose, I will dump the container of water on her neck when it's like really hot outside and it would feel good and then say neck. And then, so she gets that, that reinforcement of that word associated with that body part. So I'm hoping I can get to a point where maybe I can present the water to her and have her pick where does she want the water to be poured on her? Um, so, and, and with scritches, so I'm trying to figure out ways to get her to be more interested in pressing the body part buttons. That's not something she's done a whole lot of yet. So I'll see if we can, we can work on some techniques to get us there. And then, so I'll talk a little bit more about the buttons themselves and how I've used and mounted them. So I have, what I have most often in my videos are these guys. And these are the learning resources recordable answer buzzers. They're kind of the cheap entry level buttons. And so they're good for it in that way. Um, the recording quality isn't that great. Um, sometimes my husband and my daughter just laugh at me as I keep trying to record the same word over and over and over and it does not sound anything like the word. But eventually I get a word that's good enough. Um, and the other thing I kind of like about these is they have a battery compartment on back that's the right uh, shape for a piece of Velcro. So I'll stick a piece of vel Velcro here on the battery compartment and then I Velcro them to, I used to use a pegboard or just a piece of plywood. I used to use just the side of the shed but the adhesive on the Velcro breaks down in the sun. It would actually be okay in the rain. It was, it was actually holding up pretty well, but in the sun it started to break down. So I couldn't put them on her shed anymore on the outside, which is kind of a bummer because she likes being on the outside more on the inside. She's not very much of an inside. She's an out 24 seven horse and she likes it that way. Um, so these are their learning resources, recordable answer buzzers, and I can share some links to these. Um, at least the way I have them mounted, it is easy if I needed to replace the batteries, which I actually haven't had to replace any batteries yet. The only other thing I don't like about these is this recording button on the side. Lyra has pushed this on accident sometimes and erased a button and it makes this really loud beep sound and then she's mad and I'm mad <laughs> and then the button's not doing what it's supposed to do. So I would like to upgrade at some point because I've been trying these buttons out for work. These are hex tiles. So this is a hex shape button, which is kind of cool. Another thing I love about these is they have a clear cover. So you can label your buttons and then put the cover on and that'll keep them clean because our horse muscles aren't always the cleanest things in the whole world. And then the recording mechanism is hidden pretty well here on the back. So it wouldn't have that issue with the quality is great. And they also have screw, screw holes. So if I wanted to use screw mounting for this instead of the Velcro, that would be another way to go. So I'm trying to save up to get these, but these are like, um, they're a little more, they're more expensive than the learning resources buzzers, but I hope to replace my buttons with some of these as I go forward. How much are the learning resources buttons compared to those? The learning resources, you can get about four of them for about 20 to $25. And then the hex tiles, I have found, it's not that terrible of a deal, but you can get six for about $70. So I've been trying to find, I wish these came in more variety. I did find one for $15.99, but then that one was no longer available for a single, which would be nice to just buy to start with. So I know it, we, we have, our horses can ask for money in all sorts of different ways. So we have to prioritize. So that is one 
place. And then I do did get some of the little fluent pet ones that you see used with the dogs and cats more frequently. And they have really great recording quality. I just don't know what would be a good way to mount these. I've tried like magnets, um, some really strong magnets, which is okay, but they can still be knocked off fairly easily. And so I'm still trying to think about ways to use these. One, if I have more time over the summer and energy, I'm actually thinking a good use of these might be to see if I can have some kind of body mounted option to like mount on the top of the foreleg if like maybe an all done button. And then the horse could actually hit that button when we're out and away from the communication board. And then I could give her ways to communicate, maybe not as many buttons as, as we might like, but just a few ways that we can communicate while we're out and about to make something pretty clear. Though, it, you know, if we're talking about all done, she's probably already told me that in other ways that I understand. Um, but just thinking about ways that maybe I could use these in a body mounted method, if I could have, you know, some kind of sheath or Velcro, that then just this button part sticks out and then have it wrapped around the leg. So something I might consider, um, but I've got a few of these to play with. The starter set, which contains two of these is about $25, $30. So I have links to all of these, some affiliate links, which give me a tiny little bit of kickback, which is, which is nice, but not something that's uh, paying any of our horse bills. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, that's how, what I've got going on. So like I said, I've got I've got plywood now inside of her running shed where it can stay cool. The sun isn't shining directly on it. And that's where I have all the buttons mounted, her core board on the right and her body board on the left. And I have some videos of the various uh, buttons she's pushed. Um, my most popular channel is on TikTok. That's just where it's convenient for me to easily quickly record things and post them. But I'm hoping to spawn my YouTube channel where I do some more of the how-to stuff or get more in depth about why I think she pressed certain buttons and what does that tell us potentially uh, about her uh, ability to understand and communicate because it's kind of surprised me a few times. I'm like, whoa, I had no idea that that's what you were thinking. And so that's kind of the whole goal of giving them another means of communicating is we don't know. Um, they can potentially be having thoughts that they can't communicate to us in their body language, or we're just not getting the message. And so that is something that I've noticed sometimes is sometimes I feel like Lyra is actually rather reluctant to push a button. And I compare it to like, if you go to another country and maybe, yeah, they speak English, but really not very well. They try to like encourage you to use your own ability to speak their language and but when they notice you're really struggling they're kind of like okay I'll use my my high school English to try to understand you that's what it seems like with Lyra when she's like you're not getting the message of my body language really okay fine I'll push the button so you actually know what I'm talking about which which is kind of cute but at least she has the option that she never had before that's awesome. Do you think that maybe she's a little bit shy that she doesn't know exactly that she's communicating right when she pushes it? Like maybe she's the person visiting the other country? Um, I, you know, that is, that is a good question because as we've talked and as I've read, like how Stella learned to talk, which is Christina Hunger's book about how she talked, taught her dog to talk as we expect animals to really play with language and experiment. 
And I haven't noticed that Lyra has done very much of that at all. When she does get to a point where she pushes a button, she's like, boom, this is exactly what I, I'm not really, you're going to make me push this button. You don't understand what I want. Okay, fine. But then she's like, boom, it's exactly what she with great intention. Um, and I would say upwards of 90% of her communication with, with the buttons with me is like that. There've only been a few times when um, I invite her to push a button and she's like, ah, this one or that one or whatever. That's only happened like three or four times. And then it is almost like she's saying, no, I really don't have anything like that I care to say right now. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That is one thing that is, is different. Um, What I've noticed about communicating with the horse versus the cat and dog videos that we've, most of us have seen is you have a cat or dog that's living in your house. And so the buttons are like there on the floor and they can voluntarily just go over to the buttons whenever they want and say something. You don't necessarily have to say, come on, let's talk. I mean, you do a little bit when you're starting out and when you're teaching them how to use the buttons, but very frequently it's an easy way for animals to go and spontaneously communicate, which I don't feel like I have that quite the same way with Lyra one. Of course, we're not sharing a house. And um, two, she doesn't walk away from me with intention very frequently at all. She's not going to be like, hey, I'm going to go press these buttons. There's only been like one scenario that was when the buttons were on the outside of the shed when she was like, no, I'm going to push a button because I'm confused here. And so that was really early on. That was one of the first anecdotes where I'm like, whoa, there's something going on here, which is she had her scritches button. And then the second button she had was mask. And I had this ritual every morning where it was in the summer and I'd come out and I'd make sure she had her hay and everything. And then we'd put on her fly mask and she was trained to put her head down and put on her fly mask. And there was one morning I knew it was going to rain later that day. It was going to be windy. The flies weren't going to be a problem. So I didn't bring her mask out at all. And so I just went and was taking care of things. And that's when she pressed the mask button. Like, hey, we what is up? We're, and I don't know if it's just because this is a routine piece that I miss or, you know, what you can have different opinions about what she might have been saying there even. But even if she's just noticing this is a part of our routine that's missing, that's still something. How could she communicate that to me with body language? I yeah. mean, I guess she could just like stand there and but I I when she pushed mask, I totally got it. Now there was nothing I could do about it in that moment. I wasn't going to change my mind or run back and get the mask from where it was quite far away. But she told me something. She was thinking about either an activity or an object or a routine that was missing. And that's something that's really tough to communicate with body language is something that's missing. And so that was that was one of our first anecdotes that was was pretty cool. And when I learned there might be something going on here. That's really cool. So, And I was also wondering yes. what other things you've seen with your horse that she's just decided to do randomly. So yeah, there have been a few things where it's been really exciting and how she's talked to me. One was the word walk. So I had gotten her halter and lead rope out. We go for a walk sometimes around the house or around the neighborhood. I let her graze a good amount. We do some training, grazing training around that. And 
her uh, her barefoot trimmer was going to come to trim her feet. And so I'd gotten her halter out, but it was like she wasn't going to be around yet. So I was grooming her and getting her cleaned up. And I had just hung the halter on the outside of the shed. Totally forgot about it. And I was then the farrier, she texted me that she was running late. And it's like, okay, fine. Well, let's play some games and stuff and just kill time waiting for the farrier to show up. And then I invited Lyra to come and press a button. And the first this was the first time she ever pressed this button. She pressed walk, walk. And I was like, whoa, oh, well, duh, I got out your halter. I put it on the outside of the shed. I totally ignored it. And we were doing all of this other stuff. And you're like, hey, human, when are we going to go for the walk? (laughs) And those those moments are really great because I know that's not prompted. That was not even in my brain when I was asking her to press a button and seeing if she wanted to do something. Yeah. And. She could have said that another way. She could have walked over to her halter and then like looked at me and that could have been another way she could have said that. But I forgot the halter was there and I was directing her to do other things. It's like, hey, do you want to come push a button? Yeah, I want to go for that walk. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was a really great moment also because it was one where I could say, yeah, yes, of course, let's go for a walk. And I got her halter and put it on her and then we we spent the rest of the time waiting for the fairy to show up, taking a walk around. So that was, that was really nice and really great that, and that was just another anecdote that I like to tell the other one. Let's see. um, Is when she has pushed water. So she doesn't normally push her water button. She always has fresh water available. It's just not something that she ever feels the need to request. Except this winter, I don't have power out to her field and her shed. So her water would freeze over in the winter and I'd go out every morning and I would bring these two buckets of hot water from the house to use to melt up enough of her water, get some of the ice off of it so that she could drink it. And so I had broken up enough of her ice, but I realized I still had a bucket of water. It wasn't too that bad that morning. So I let her drink the water. And then that became a habit that we had in the mornings is she, she would just like, no, just let me have the warm water and I'll drink it. She was obvious that she was interested in the bucket. So it's like, okay, sure. Just drink the water. <laughs> and so one morning I had just let her drink the warm water, bring her two, two buckets of tea in the morning. And I had broken up her water. I got her fresh water. She had everything she needed. But then I walked into her shed and was like, hey, do you want to press a button? And she was like, water, water. She wanted more. <laughs> <laughs> she wanted more and of her tea water she wanted more of her tea water now I couldn't in that moment go get her more of the tea water from the house but what that told me is no she really likes that it's not just like yeah okay I'll drink some water it was like no I really really like this and now even though I'm not fighting frozen water in the morning anymore I still bring her her morning tea because I know how much she likes it because she told me. <laughs> Does Have you ever tried not bringing it and seeing if she'll press it again? No. Um, well, I what I did when she pressed water and I wasn't going to get her more is I walked over with her and showed her, well, you have the regular fresh cold water. It's, it's here. It's not like you don't have any water. And then she like gave this sigh like... <sighs> It's <laughs> like, sorry, that's not. and then I told her, I just said, water all done. <laughs> the warm water is all done. So she usually doesn't like perseverate too much. 
and she usually doesn't ask for things that don't seem like they're in the realm of possibility typically. And I don't know if that's just her or her personality or the way she perceives the communication options. Um, but it, she doesn't typically press buttons that are like, well, that's weird. Why would you even say that? That's not an option or a possibility. That's, that's really atypical. I think she's only done that like once, twice, three times, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, that she's ever done something like that. So usually I have to tell her and, and I'll model this on the buttons too. If she says water and she drank all her warm water and it's just not an option to get her more right now. Cause I'm getting ready for work and I'm not going to trek back into the house and back out again. I'll just push water all done. So those um, I try to make modeling opportunities for like the all done button, um, which is actually one that she's also pressed. So I think that's helped uh, the t- there are a couple of times when she's pressed all done once was when I was actually have this one on Instagram, maybe that I was playing around. I was kind of really slowly getting her, her hay in the evening. And I threw her hay net out over the fence and the cat jumped on it. He likes to lay and play on the hay net. And I was kind of watching the cat and I was kind of filming the cat with my phone and other stuff. And I noticed she turned her hind end toward me. And that's an obvious signal of human, you are not meeting my expectations. So that's body language that I understand pretty clearly, but I was curious about it. So I was like, okay, do you want to come talk about this? So I let her in to the buttons and then she pressed all done. And that was my interpretation is that with that is she wanted me to stop paying attention to the cat, be all done with that, get back to our routine of getting her her hay and um, that kind of stuff. She didn't ask for hay directly because the next step in our routine actually would be, she would lead me to wherever she left her hay ball. Cause my husband throws out a hay ball for her in the middle of the day. And in the evening, sometimes in the winter it would be dark. I didn't even know where that thing was. So I'd say, hey, let's go find your ball. Where's your ball? And she would lead me to it. And then I would reward her for bringing me to the hay ball. So the moment I was done with the, the cat and we were all done, she's like, okay, the next thing is we go and we, I walked to the hay ball. And so that was cute. Another, just the other day, um, I was playing with stationary targeting with her in the shed and she had knocked the target off and I was trying to fiddle with it to, to get the, the bailing twine I was using back tied so I could put it back. And she was a little impatient with me and I just asked her to wait and she pushed scritches. And so I just about had it done. I was like, okay. And I started giving her scritches. Well, then she knew that I was kind of ready to put the stationary target back. And then she very quickly, quickly pushed all done. So <laughs> okay, all done with scritches. Let's go back. Stationary target is a very highly desirable behavior with her right now. So let's go back to that. So that was pretty cute. So that was almost like a little bit of conversation with scritches. Like, okay, now I'm all done. Let's go back to the stationary target. So that was pretty cute. Are there any things that you would recommend against like mistakes that people can make in terms of training these buttons? Um, I starting with a straight treat reward button is something I don't recommend just because I like for there to be several buttons that are where they get the, the sense and the information that there's a different reinforcement that can come from a button and that's communication. So that's probably the biggest, the biggest one. Um, I didn't give her a hay button until 
like a fourth or fifth. I did give her her hug. So that is one thing that I have asked myself and people might have different opinions about is when I've trained her a behavior with reinforcement that I continue to reinforce her for. Like hug is a reinforced behavior. I ask for a hug, she gives me a hug and then she gets a reward. Now I gave her a hug button and then I was thinking, well, I don't necessarily want to associate that with food, but I'm not going to say, when I ask for a hug, I'll give you a treat. But if you ask for a hug, you don't get a treat. Yeah. <laughs> so, so we still do uh, at the end of the behavior, she'll push the hug button, we'll get a hug, and then she'll get the same reward. So I do still reward when she asks to perform a behavior that usually is followed with uh, reinforcement, I still offer the reinforcement. So I think that's, that's fine. Um, and I have given her a hay button. You don't want to, while you don't want to start with a food related button, you don't necessarily want to avoid giving them one just because you're worried they're going to push it. That's when you have to think about like a kid, you don't take the word ice cream out of their mouth because they might ask for ice cream when you can't give them ice cream. You use as a, as an opportunity to teach additional words, like, no ice cream, ice cream all done. Um, one button I've thought about giving her that I haven't yet is like later or more. So these are two, two that I haven't, I always have a list a mile long of the next button I would like to give her, but I've been trying to focus on the body buttons more. Um, so you can eventually introduce those buttons. Just make sure that you're also pretty, uh, that you'll be able to follow up with what if they do ask for that and it's not an option right then. How do you continue to make that part of a conversation? So my other question would be, uh, do you ever communicate with her with the buttons? Yeah, whenever I introduce a new button, I usually model it. Um, and then like in the morning when I'm going to go get her her hay, I'll push hay. Or when I've taken care of her in the morning and I'm done, I'll push all done and I'll give her some food on the floor. Like when we end training sessions, I'll use the all done button. And that's pretty convenient because I usually that's where I drop the food. So she's not eating dirt or anything. I drop the food on the floor in her shed. And so I, I model really frequently um, the buttons as much as I can. So do you know of anybody else in the horse community who's doing this? Um, a few. So there's a there's a horse named Clever Cooper. I don't know that has had some buttons and has had some picture related buttons. That's not most of the content I see posted on that account. So I'm not sure how, how often or what other things they're doing. There's also a, a read to me Athena on TikTok, or um, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Uh, Il Ludwig, the animal communicator has a horse. That's, that's the same account, uh, same person, Athena, who's using some buttons. And then there's Anna French on Instagram who's had some buttons and has also worked on communication with like hand touching for yes and no, and some other types of symbolic communication that's really interesting too. So love to see more of it. Um, I am hoping that maybe I can get on some of the, some of the clicker training podcasts that I love listening to or something, because I think it's a really great fit for our community and a really natural extension of our desire to you know, develop relationships with our animals. It's not as much about the writing or the performing or the competing. It's about relationships for a lot of us. And I think that is a great way to, to build our relationships.
Absolutely. That's why I was so excited that you were part of the Pacific Northwest uh, Clicker Training Horses group. I was like, oh my goodness, somebody's doing this with horses. I was a fan of Irene Pepperberg growing up because I was obsessed with birds from a really young age. And so I always wanted to be the Dr. Doolittle, able to communicate with other species, you know, open ourselves up to ideas from other creatures and not just, you know, staying with our human centric world. What do you think the ethical implications are of what you're doing? Um, I think occasionally you'll see in some of my TikTok comments about people who say that they're scared. And, but I think that's, you know, it does make people uncomfortable. And I think that's important if there's way more going on in there than we've been willing to understand or accept that does have implications for how we treat and care for and keep um, other living beings around us in our lives. Uh, and so I think non-human communication is if it brings greater understanding of their ability to experience joy and suffering and pain and, and pleasure, then uh, we need that information, even if it is, uh, you know, a little uncomfortable sometimes. And I think those are, that is uh, ways that we can really push that conversation forward. I think the thing that's most interesting to me about it is the consent aspect. And it's fascinating to me that that could scare people. Although it does make sense in light of where the horse community currently is. For those that are in the clicker training horse community, it seems really natural to be able to build a relationship that's based on consent because that's the foundation of what we're trying to do. But I could see how it could be really uncomfortable to have your horse telling you when they don't want to do something and to realize that there is a feeling being behind what you are doing with this, uh, what you think of as an animal um, that's happening in their brain. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I hope that, you know, not everyone, you know, looks the same way on the clicker training community. And I hope this is another lens to look at our animals through and look at consent through if they can really tell us what's going on. So many of them will, you know, see some of this uh, and it will strike a nerve in maybe ways that just seeing examples of clicker training don't do for people it will have kind of that uh, emotional hook that I'm hoping can help be a driver of change in the horse industry in general. Yes, I feel like those of us who are in the clicker training community want that deep relationship where we're able to see the world through another being's perspective so deeply. And this is providing us the avenue to that. I don't understand how you couldn't be extremely excited by it. Oh yeah, no, I. I can't even, I could go back and think, could I even imagine that I would have been doing this when I brought my horse home a couple of years ago? And no, I, I did not realize that this would, is where I would be, but I hope that I can continue. I don't see any reason not to. And um, there are, you know, every, every once in a while, it's not like she talks all the time or that that's all we do. There are some days where it, it, we're, we're having fun doing other things. There really isn't a reason to be using the buttons necessarily, but those, those moments when she has the opportunity to tell me something important um, are really, really critical and really motivate me to keep going. How do you feel like it's deepened your relationship with her? Do you feel like you know her better as a person as a result? Oh, of yeah. Her yeah, she's a person in there for sure. And I do feel like I, I know her and I feel like it, 
I'm hoping, I like to think that it's changed her relationship with me as well, that I care about what she feels and thinks and knows and makes her more willing to, I feel like she's getting a little bit more willing to communicate. And I that might just be doing stationary target training inside the shed where the buttons are right there too. But just us having that two-way communication, really, that's, that's what relationships are based off of. And so I feel like we both understand each other better because of that. That is absolutely incredible. Thank you so much for being willing to uh, talk to us about what you're doing with Lyra and how you're essentially changing the world of communication with horses. You're definitely a pioneer. Well, thank you. And I will keep putting stuff out there. I just would like to list a couple of other resources people can check out. There is uh, the They Can Talk project, which mostly is filled with cat and dog communication partners all over the world out of UC San Diego, and they are collecting data. Now, I don't feel like I have the best case with Lyra to be submitting a lot of data because our communication is infrequent and I don't have a way to necessarily keep camera on it 24-7. Maybe that'll change, who knows. Um, But... Then there's the book by Christina Hunger called How Stella Learned to Talk. And then the other resources are the Words with Horses Facebook group that I've got. And then I'm going to be using this video to launch the Words with Horses uh, YouTube channel. And then I will cross post that information on my other accounts. My TikTok account has gotten some pretty crazy traffic lately, just from a very quick hug video that people seem to find is very sweet, which it is. Um, so I will be spreading those resources around as well as the links to places where people can get buttons and some of the books that I've mentioned and rely on. That is absolutely amazing. Um, will you be willing to post those links somewhere that I'd be able to share them with the various groups or will you be able to do that? Oh yeah. At the very least I'll put, put them in the words with horses channel and I could cross post them and Pacific Northwest and clicker trainers as well. Okay, awesome. I think it would be very fascinating eventually to start submitting to that group that you were talking about that's collecting data on it. Yeah. Especially when you consider that there is so much of the horse community that currently doesn't believe that horses are intelligent enough to communicate like that. Yeah, no, I I know otherwise. She's just blown me away too many times. Well, and I think all of us who who have been doing the clicker training or who are perceptive and have been around horses for a long period of time know otherwise, but to have the actual data, um, I mean, it's, I'm sure you've learned about other animals and the struggle that the scientists who have done these um, communication trials that the animals have faced when they presented their information, they're they're very um, well controlled for and documented information to the scientific community. The backlash is incredible. Yeah, it is. There's a lot of, of uh, vulnerability uh, of guarding our, our intellectual uh, species uh, capability that I don't know why there's so much vulnerability there, but I think that there's a lot more variation in intelligence and uh, cognition than we give our non-humans credit for. 
And I've always found it really exciting to think that other creatures would be able to communicate with us because, you know, we have this body that we're trapped in and we can only see the world through the eyes of our senses and our brain that processes it. But to be able to hear what the world is like through the senses of an animal with a completely different body type and different senses, um, I just think that there's a lot of creative possibilities there. I think so too. I think there's a lot of undiscovered country out there. All right, well, thank you so much for uh, coming and talking to us. Yeah, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. Here. You're welcome.